You're listening to Leading Innovation at Work, the Future of Business podcast with your host, Lori Rowlandson. Hey, everyone. In this episode, I'm so excited to be joined by our guest today, Rainy Glick of Rainy Glick Wellness. She's the president and, of, and owner of her own organization. Welcome to the show, Rainy. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's really my pleasure. You know, I'm, I'm so delighted to have you as a guest today because we've been talking a lot about COVID lately. And one of the things that I'm so pleased, I mean, every yin has a yang and every negative situation has a positive. And one of the positive things that I think has come out of the last few months is more discussion around mental health at work and wellness and well-being. And I think we were already on that path prior to COVID, but I think one of the things COVID has done is really made that as an evident topic. It's It's been promoted from our subconscious to our conscious mind, as so many of us are experiencing that. So I'm really delighted to have you as a guest today. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. That's, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Hey, hey, Rainy, one of the questions, just before we get started in your presentation, one of the questions I like to ask every guest, because I get asked a lot about career path as well. And of course, this career path was not really established when we were in high school, picking out what we wanted to do with the rest of our life and, you know, our career options. So I'm always just so fascinated to hear the career path of each of our guests. Would you mind just sharing? How did you get? Sure, I'd be happy to. Okay, yeah, great. thank you. So um, I had a long career in the, I was an artist, a sculptor, and I was in the arts and culture sector. And um, I worked with organizations. I ran a number of organizations uh, in, um, uh, with um, performing artists, uh, visual artists, and, um, and musicians. And uh, it, was, uh, it was very exciting. I, I loved it. I did it for a long time. Um, I was an executive of, of several organizations. Um, and I just got wanted to change. And about um, seven years ago, I went and became a, um, a nutritionist, a holistic nutritionist, and really got excited about the health and wellness sector. Um, I had no idea I was going to be doing this. I thought about it a little bit when I was younger, because a teenager, because there was a lot of illness in my family. We had a lot of mental illness and physical illness, which really influenced me in some ways. But at the same time, I said there was no way I was ever going to do that. You know, I wanted to complete independence from that. I'd been in that sort of caregiver role for most of my life, and I didn't ever really want to be in that situation. And I was an artist. That was really what I was doing. So... um, I got into the, uh, I was, I'm a good cook. I love to cook and uh, I want to do something more than just cater or do something like that as I was thinking of of a next career. And I really was interested in nutrition and the fact that food is medicine, it can heal us so well, you know, without taking medications. There's so many amazing things that food does for us and living a, a sort of a better lifestyle also improves our health. So those things really interested me. And, uh, so I became more involved in uh, that in that aspect of it, health and wellness. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. I, I often think, and of course, that crosses over into real estate, which is amazing. <laughs> but many of us are accidental real estate professionals. And certainly the element that you're describing definitely crosses over into the build the building environment because, you know, the building design can really affect 
the health and wellness of employees. And we spend more time at the office often than we do at home or a, a disproportionate amount of time at the office. And I, you know, it's important that we have workplaces that support the health of our professionals as well. Um, and there's lots of material and growing evidence about that. You mentioned in the, in the pre-discussion around Rex Miller, and uh, there's lots of statistical evidence around why we need to take this topic seriously um, for real estate professionals. Of course, this is something that HR professionals are interested in. A lot of prop tech solutions are directed yes. towards wellness at, at work, as well as how we're designing our spaces, how we're supporting our spaces, how facilities managers are making sure that we're operating our facilities with the right uh, well-being and and health and safety considerations. And it's just elevated in its uh, awareness and consideration from COVID. So like I say, yin and yang, right? Yes, yes. Well, it it is fascinating, really. um, And this is also an area that um, sort of led me to know you was the fact that I was really interested in wellness in in the workplace and wellness in buildings and how important that is because as you said we spend most of our time 90% of our time indoors but we don't really think about that wellness side how that impacts our health uh, in in being inside buildings all the time the air quality the lighting the sound all those things impact our health whether we realize it or not so incorporating these other elements into our uh, our sort of psyche of what's important about how we're going to live health um, well and healthy. Uh, the environment of, of, the, of buildings is so essential. You got it. Very well said, Rainey. Well, without further ado, I, I'd love to turn it over to you, and and I can't wait to learn from you today. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna turn over control of the PowerPoint, and you okay. can share slides. I'm sure for those of you that are following along on the podcast side, just audio, I'm sure you'll be able to follow along. But if you're interested, visit our website, and we'll be able to share with you the vodcast, the video aspect of this as well. But you should be able to follow along either way. Okay. So over to you, Rainy. Thank you. I can't, I can't wait to learn from you today. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so thank you so much, Lori, for the introduction. And I'm quite excited to be speaking with you and your uh, followers today on the topic of managing anxiety in the workplace. Um, so, I'm gonna, so we're currently living in an unprecedented times with COVID. And, uh, you know, we don't know, you know, when we'll be going back to work. Some already are, but many are not. And, uh, you know, we're really concerned about how we're going to be safe in those places, what's going to happen with us. And um, I think it's important to really um, take it as you feel most comfortable, but to also educate yourself of what's out there that can really help you in the long run. So I'm going to talk a bit about today about mental health versus mental illness, uh, some causes and types of anxiety. Uh, why, so, why there is so much anxiety in the workplace today and in our world, and part of that is COVID. Um, you know, a lot of us are reacting to what's going on with COVID, being in self-isolation for so long and not being able to be with our family and friends. It, it is traumatic, and so it's bringing about a lot of personal issues for people or being in, in very tight little spaces or with so many people in small little places. Uh, and and living environments. Um, I'm gonna offer some workplace strategies and uh, um, a couple of um, recommendations of the way people are dealing with uh, CBT, uh, with um, anxiety and uh, methods of support and then um, physical wellness and lifestyle, how you can do it yourself as well. Great, 
That's fantastic. I can't wait. <laughs> okay, so 20% of employees in the U.S. have voluntarily left their jobs due to mental illness episode. And then this number increased 50% for millennials and 75% for Gen Xers. By the age of 40, half of Canadians have had or have had a mental illness episode. And that has really impacted the way people are um, experiencing their work situations. The, uh, the future of the workplace identified that COVID is the first time that later millennials and Gen Zers are experiencing a major event. They are the least prepared for working from home, unless they've done it before because they're not set up for it properly, and they suffer most from self-isolation as a cohort. Older millennials are a little more prepared, but are also dealing with caregiving responsibilities, uh, but are less productive, like example, raising children or caring for their parents. By the age of 40, as I mentioned before, half of Canadians have had a mental illness experience or know someone who's had, has had, who's had a problem. And over $51 billion, um, an extraordinary amount, has caused an economic burden from mental illness in Canada every year. So every year, $51 billion has had an impact in our economy because of mental illness. That's incredible. Because in the U.S., in the U.S., that's like 10 times. Usually, yes. well, the U.S. is 10 times the population of Canada. So that just, that's $510 billion in the U.S. It's an incredible scale. It is an incredible scale. It's enormous. Uh, when you think of it in actual dollars, how much mental health is really impacting our economy and people's ability to work in the, at their jobs. Um, and these, uh, these uh, costs are expected to rise to $2.5 trillion. Again, this is Canadian numbers by 2041. So again, in the use of the exponential. And also we've seen that 30% of disability claims in Canada are due to mental illness and 70% of health claims costs are due to mental illness. Again, very high numbers. Um, and many people are taking um, mental health leave as a result. So we have a lot of people missing out on being at work and uh, because of their um, taking it as um, disability claims. So the question is, are they really getting help? Uh, but what's more interesting to note, that I like this statistic, that on the average, medical leaves due to mental illness are about double the cost of medical leaves due to physical illness. So it's even having even a greater impact than physical illness when people take medical leave. So I'd like to spend a few minutes just talking about the difference between mental health and mental illness because there is a big difference and it can be confusing since both words are used sort of interchangeably, but there are vastly different things. So mental health and mental illness are different, but interconnected. A person can have good mental health, feel down, have a high level of stress because of life circumstances such as COVID right now. On the other hand, a person can have a mental diagnosis such as an anxiety disorder as we're talking about today or depression. And they could have good mental health, even when, when taking the proper medications, living a good lifestyle, such as eating right, sleeping well, and exercising regularly. They have support from their community and workplace, and they have good and bad periods, but are mostly able to manage their illness. So here's a story about Tara. Tara was diagnosed with depression, and her depression is under control because she sees her psychotherapist or psychiatrist regularly. She likes her job. She feels capable of completing her work, takes her medication. She eats right. 
She sleeps and has good sleep and exercises daily. She feels comfortable and respected by her community and her peers. She has a community that supports her, and despite her mental illness, she has good mental health. The community where you live, work, and play can promote your mental health. It takes a village for a person to feel safe and supported. So everyday anxiety versus everyday um, anxiety disorder. So one in four adults may experience anxiety in their life, and one in 10 persons may experience an anxiety order within a year. Um, a person experiencing anxiety disorders experience it much more intensely for a longer term and frequently versus a person of one in four adults um, who experience it only occasionally. They have a mild problem and, and it's also for a short term or very brief. Um, people can be living with an anxiety disorder uh, for a long time before diagnosis, and usually an event or trauma can trigger an anxiety episode or experiences. But most anxiety disorders are treatable. And interesting to note, women experience more anxiety disorders than men who experience more substances, substance abuse, uh, I'm sorry, substance use disorders. So signs of emotional decline. When a person is in a mental or anxiety crisis, there are noticeable signs of beginning an episode for a first-time mental illness experience. So that's very different than a person who's having it recurring because they're much more aware. When you become aware of the symptoms, you will notice when a person hasn't slept well for an extended period of time, they'll look exhausted. Uh, they'll look, uh, their hygiene drops off. They'll become less communicative. Uh, they can't complete sentences. And, you, and when you recognize these initial signs, it's a result of a person is really struggling and they're either going through a trauma or they're in a mental decline. And it's important to seek help for this person. And this is a time to start asking questions, notify their family or direct them to, to a health professional. Because these are all really essential signals that something is going on. And when you're in the workplace and you're seeing someone who's looking, who seems off, you're not really sure what's going on. You're kind of concerned to ask questions. You could go to your HR person and ask them to guide you or someone else you might know has um, experience or if you're a close friend of that person take them aside into a safe space and ask them you know can I help you is there something going on so there's many ways to deal with it but you want to make that person feel safe and not to feel anxious or frightened that something's going to happen to them because already they're feeling extremely vulnerable. So stress is our, is our psychological, physiological, and behavioral response to change. So how a person perceives a stress promoting event is how and, and reacts to it determines its impact on their health. So really when a person is um, basically in a stress situation and if they already are experiencing anxiety disorder, how they react to it, whether it's acute or it's just in a mild state will determine how their, their overall health is. And that's really important to know because some people who've had it before, they know what they need to do. But other people are having for the first time, or they've gone through some major trauma, really important to try to get a sense of what's happening. So it's understanding the stress response, the triggers that activate it, and the symptoms they experience can help them determine the type of coping technique and strategies to assist them with the change to get out of their anxiety response or to decrease the response. And I'm going to talk about that shortly, the different things um, that can happen. It may begin with a mental thought, become a strong physical sensation felt in the heart, the head, or the stomach that frightens them and turns them into a larger behavioral problem 
that will express that type of anxiety. So a lot of people will feel it first physically, and then it'll be manifested in itself um, physically, like um, outwardly, I mean. So our body is so tuned to this, and our body really knows what to do in these kinds of ways. Um, the body has a physical reaction to stress, and here are three different stages that it goes through. It gets your body ready for action in stage one. We have the fight or flight response that our body is going through. So you might have, might have heard of this before. The automatic nervous system includes two parts, a sympathetic system and the parasympathetic system. The sympathetic system is a fight or flight where our body is in response to fear, a survival instinct, exercise, excitement, emergency. You go into some kind of other emotional state. It gets the body ready for action. It releases the hormone adrenaline and activates neurotransmitters. Your body becomes more alert, motivated. It finds strength and your body systems start to shut down. In stage two, the stressor continues and accumulates with other stressors, releasing stored sugars such as and taps into hormone, uh, the hormone cortisol to get ready for more of the fight activates pain receptors, your immune system, digestion, the cardiac system, sexual functioning, and moving into a state of distress. So you're going more into a state of distress. You're not going into the next state, which was a natural state, which is rest and digest. You're staying in this heightened sense state of stress. And then the body does not slow down. It rather, the stress is increased because it needs more energy. It needs more physical energy to stay alert. And this eventually leads to chronic illness, such as heart disease, autoimmune deficiency, or anxiety, depression, many others. And there's three body systems that it really uh, triggers. The cognitive, how you think, the physical, how your body feels, and the behavioral, how you act. And they all react together. And I kind of mentioned that earlier with the physiological and biological. So example, if you're worried about your finances, that's cognitive because you're thinking about it and you're feeling on the edge and you get a back pain or a stomach ache and that's physical. And when you start obsessing uh, about it, checking your budget or your bank balance or your phone to find out your financial status, that's behavioral, the way you're acting. So typically the normal behavior that lasts for a short time can be beneficial to motivate and manage the situation. So stress is good on a certain level. We all need stress. We all need stress to function. It gets us moving. It gets our mind activated. It gets us active. But at the same time, when it's not going away, when you're not feeling you're in control of it anymore, that's when it becomes a problem. So here are some factors for anxiety. As I said before, it could be trauma, addiction, substance abuse, life changes, childhood development, and psychological disorders. That's what are contributing factors. But there's also the biological factors, the psychological factors, the behavioral and the changing life experiences. All those are interrelated. One manifests the other. So it might take a longer time to diagnose anxiety. As I mentioned before, often people self-medicate through substance abuse, uh, alcohol, smoking, drugs, or other behaviors. And there's several factors that influence anxiety. There's a biological factor um, that problems with brain chemistry and brain activity, that could be a factor. There's genetics and there's medical, psychiatric and substance abuse, abuse issues. There are also um, the genetic factors from a family member that's had anxiety, uh, anxiety disorder before. And it's higher in families uh, with panic disorders or other psychological illnesses. 
And anxiety is also manifested from them. So anxiety could be an outcome of some other psychological um, issue. And then there's behavioral uh, theory that suggests that people learn to associate their fear felt during a stressful traumatic event with certain cues, such as a place, a sound, or a feeling. And when these cues reoccur, it triggers that fear to be re-experienced. People experience extreme anxiety, and they take that situation to the limit, such as smell or sound, and that's amplified in their mind, and it makes them feel much more anxious. So really, that association of place, sound, your whole um, senses really gets all involved when you're having um, an anxiety trigger. And then there's cognitive theory suggests that fears can be reduced when people are able to experience the thing they fear most, allowing you to see that it's not as dangerous as they once believed. So when you're in a heightened state, you think the worst, you're in absolute uh, fight or flight and you're terrified. But as you go through this uh, cognitive behavior therapy, you're re-experiencing that event over and over again. And it helps you realize that that's just a response. It's not your reality. And then there's developmental which extends from childhood and what you might have feared as a trauma, but later life as an adult, you could realize that it's just a situation that happened then. You're now an adult and you're not experiencing that anymore. That perception is not real to you now. So there's different types of anxiety disorders. There's phobias, panic disorders, generalized anxiety disorders, obsessive compulsive disorder, active distress anxiety disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder, which many of us are aware of. And a person could be feeling irrational and excessive fear, apprehension and intensive feelings, difficulty managing daily tasks or stress-related tasks. And they all have different degrees of how they affect them, as I mentioned before, before, and their anxiety symptoms have different levels in which they will experience it. And the context of how their anxiety occurs, it plays also a factor. And so here's an example, and there are so many, of why we experience anxiety in the workplace. There's, just to name a few, there's new job responsibilities, unclear lines of authority, uh, language uh, difficulties or differences, incomplete assignments, uh, new technology, lack of training and growth, uh, lack of decision-making and authority, work-related travel, uh, family issues you might have, sickness of a loved one, uh, difficulty meeting obligations, there's social stressors, peer pressure, uh, lack of privacy at work. There's many, many different reasons why people have so many uh, stresses in the workplace. And it goes on and on. And it's really a factor of how people could really look at these situations and realize there's only so much you can control. But it definitely adds to in this situation of COVID, people are adapting to working at home and many people are really enjoying it. And going back to work might trigger again some of these anxieties. And how can they cope it? How can they look at it in a better situation that it might be better for them to go back to work versus staying at home or staying at home might be better for them right now. So it's really wonderful that people have options and they really think about exercising those options. So here are some strategies in which uh, companies can do to help their employees um, understand uh, mental health in the workplace uh, and how you can really uh, implement systems and, and uh, strategies to help other staff, people, employees understand when a person is going through a difficult time, as well as the person who is going through a difficult time. 
Um, you can build a, a company-wide strategy plan and train leadership. So important to get leadership involved because they really set the tone. And when it happens from the top going downwards, you really have much more buy-in and people are much more open to getting involved. And uh, I think once that you have leadership there, people will really naturally want to be involved and caring. And that shows a real element of care and emotional intelligence about people in the workplace. There's a very good guide called the National Standard of Canada for Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace. And there's an equivalent in the U.S. as well that provides a, uh, is an excellent resource and a guide on how you can implement a program in your workplace. Um, I have it on the slide here if people want it. And, um, and if you can also link it when, in, when you're developing your plan with your equity and diversity program. So many companies have equity and diversity plans, and this is an excellent opportunity to build a mental health strategy with that particular plan because diversity is so important. And develop effective support programs that are readily accessible. So there's no one, fit, one size fits all for mental health. All are different and are based on the person, the environment, their culture, and the mental illness type. A comprehensive needs assessment is very helpful for assessing your employees' mental health needs and, and setting up any kind of barriers that they might feel. Because when a person goes back to work, they feel very uh, vulnerable, self-conscious, they feel people are talking about them and you wanna make them feel comfortable, cared for, and that, you're, you're, that they, this is a safe place for them. You wanna uh, prioritize their back to work process uh, so you have a supportive environment for them. And uh, they also are, um, you want to maintain their mental health benefits for a while to see how it all works together to keep them engaged, uh, keep everyone, you know, keep them in, um, feeling comfortable that they have that support ongoing. And you want to plan for accommodation and easing them back into the workplace. Uh, keep the workload um, sort of comfortable, uh, keep it simple, not to make too big a fuss. And then uh, you want to track their progress with proper support systems uh, that there might not be typical measurements that you've had for other employees. You want to might, might want to con uh, consider other types of employee achievements, such as uh, other than the typical evaluations, uh, maybe employee employment uh, recognition, engagement, other kinds of ways that you can really uh, honor them in ways that they are evolving and improving and, and feeling good about themselves. And here are other some treatment and support systems. There's cognitive behavior therapy, which I mentioned before. And um, there are often groups will have uh, support groups that are very good worker support groups that really help people, not only uh, the, the person that's been through an experience, but also employees to have someone to talk to and work through. That's often through HR. We'll have maybe a program like that or other workers might do that together. There's the EAP, uh, Employment Assistance Program, that has excellent benefits for helping uh, people uh, with that as well, and uh, access to psychotherapy, access to all different kinds of programs and professionals that will help them. And then I have Wellness Improvement System, uh, which is a system that I use, and it talks about all the different uh, uh, nine different ways in which a person experiences wellness in their life. So it's in all aspects of our life, the spiritual, social, emotional, occupational, intellectual, environmental, financial, and physical wellness. All these are comprehensive and they're all part of your, of a person's overall life. And it's an assessment tool that they can use that helps them and they can excel and improve in various aspects of their life as they see fit. 
And uh, just going back to before, I just want to mention in the book, um, Healthy Workplace Nudge by Rex Miller, he exposes the inefficiencies of wellness programs. And he claims that um, uh, culture, the workplace culture and building conditions are affecting people's health. And in, his, in this book, he really goes into quite depth saying how the most common factor of how people are experiencing stress, uh, experiencing these problems is through stress. Stress is a major factor. It is the number one problem and it makes people feel uh, so out of control in their life. And from there they develop physical illnesses. So stress is really a root cause to so many of the problems that people are feeling at work. So another way to really improve the situation is humanizing the office space. Uh, I want to mention that I am uh, becoming a FitWell ambassador, and that is a accreditation that incorporates building wellness um, and how you use the lighting, the HVAC, um, sound, all different kinds of aspects uh, in the workplace. And for me as a wellness practitioner, as a nutritionist, and I incorporate other me methods, I'm a wellness coach, uh, and workplace uh, facilitator, that is so exciting for me that to really start bringing in that conversation, how we can make the build buildings, our workplaces, our homes, much more health aware. And um, I think that's really an important factor in how we move forward with COVID being so uh, front and center in our lives to start implementing, especially with air filtration, um, the uh, way that we're using different plastics in our life, chemicals in our home, all these different aspects really affect our physical health as well as our mental health. And also I want to mention that in many offices today, some people have real anxiety disorders or other mental health diagnoses and find the open spaces very stressful. And so adding smaller private spaces with, along with the open spaces will, will really well integrate and add variety for many people. And it also provides safety for people who are having a, a mental health issue. So those are another aspect to think about uh, that people really, uh, some people really thrive in an open space design and other people really need smaller spaces to function well. Businesses that integrate with good design focus on the interests of employees, honoring employee achievements, and with the CEO leading the charge and fostering a competitive environment with healthy stress creates self a safe place for employees to thrive that sustains employee retention, high performance, less health claims, and absenteeism. And that is a successful wellness program. So there are just have a few more about talking about there are many ways a person can manage their anxiety on their own. They can support their well-being with other methods to improve their physical and mental health. So there's physical health of nutrition, fitness, mindfulness, strategy of coping, um, with your emotions and anxiety, practicing common, I'll talk about that in a minute, deep breathing, different types of deep breathing, guided meditation, work flexibility of working from home and managing your childcare, cognitive behavior therapy, emotional freedom technique, yoga, qigong, and on-site a wellness uh, consultant, which I'll talk about in a second as well. So there are different types of breathing, and I talk about breathing because it's one of the most instant de-escalators de when a person is in a crisis. There are different methods of breathing you can try. There's deep breathing, diaphragmic breathing, or Buddha breathing, alternate nostril breathing, and box breathing. Diaphragmic breathing is especially helpful when a person is in a fight or flight mode. They maybe have heart palpitations, experience rapid breathing, and fast pacing strengths. 
breathing through the diaphragm where the stomach expands as you breathe in. Hands could be on your stomach area and you breathe in for four seconds, hold for three, four seconds and breathe out for four seconds through your mouth. The person can focus on the stomach rising and falling, which is calming and it's best on lying down or sitting. When we hear bad news, we often get <gasps> holding our breath and then, hold, and then the, the breathing patterns that can activate the sympathetic nervous system that often referred to in the fight or flight response that I talked about sooner. Your body is having an anxiety in the upper part of your body and you're feeling it right then and there. So often the advantage of diaphragmic breathing is that you're focusing more on your diaphragm, on your stomach area, and you're less intensifying that upper region of your heart palpitations and your anxiety. You're really just focusing on the lower part of your body, and that could move you into the rest and digest state of calming down. Um, and that also will calm the mind. And the box breathing is the most common breathing method. I was in a crisis situation with my brother who um, suffered schizophrenia, and I had to admit him into the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, a facility in Toronto. And um, the psychiatry, psychiatrist immediately uh, recommended uh, and started to do with him the box breathing, using his finger to implement um, the shape of a, of a box, of a square. And he, my brother had a hard time really focusing in on doing that, but once he did, it really calmed him down. And uh, he, and I was really surprised and impressed that this actually worked because it was difficult to get him to calm down. And so it really helped to calm him down in that particular situation. Um, and it de-escalated right away. Um, alternating the nostril breathing, where you breathe in through one nostril and breathe out through the other nostril is also very calming. And it also gets the heart to um, lower and get into a much more calmer state. And it's also great. It's also known as uh, a prayanayama. And um, it's beneficial really for sleep as well. So if you have trouble sleeping, uh, um, alternating your nostril breathing is also very helpful. Uh, this was from an article in Yoga Journal. So it was a study that was done. So there is lots of um, studies out there that approve, uh, that talk about all these different breathing techniques. So the next thing I'm going to talk about is your digestive health, because this is so essential. I talked about uh, food as medicine, and so and 70% of our immune cells, and that is so important to now because we're talking about COVID, how COVID attacks the immune system. To really build your immune health, 70% of your immune cells live in your gut. So that's in your stomach area. That's a huge number. So that's three quarters of your immune cells live in your gut. So what you eat affects your health. And that's really essential. And um, the immune system also helps with uh, balancing your body. Also, your, bo your body's health, your, all your body systems, which is known as homeostasis, keeping your body in balance. The gut micro microbiome communicates, communicates with the immune system through the jelly roll layer of the intestinal and gut-associated lymphoid tissue, also known as GALT. And over the course of your lifetime, 60 tons of food will pass through your digestive system. So what you eat, again, feeds your bacteria and feeds your overall health. There are over 34 billion bacteria strains in your body that makes up your um, that makes up your microbiome. And they are forever changing from the environment you live in and the people you interact with or touch. So as we know, again, through COVID, when gut bacteria is healthy and in balance, it helps your immune system 
and keeps you healthy. The best foods to eat are fresh whole foods, specifically vegetables and fruits. They contain vitamins and minerals you need to flush out waste and oxygenate your cells. So eating fresh, healthy food, a lot of greens will keep you healthy. Very good for um, detoxifying as well. And everything in the body is connected. So keep that in mind. Um, and it also prebiotic foods and probiotic foods improve your bacterial function because they serve as nourishment for your microorganisms. Um, so that's another factor. And they also uh, contribute to the inner ecosystem, which I'm talking about here, because they improve your digestion, they lower cholesterol, protects against allergies, aids in cancer prevention, and much, much more. So move your body daily. It's so essential. Exercise, exercise reduces insulin resistance for type 2 diabetes and other diseases. Exercise increases the size of the hippocampus in the brain, a key region for memory and one that shrinks in Alzheimer's disease. It improves your vascular function, which is critical for neuronal and sympathetic, sympathetic health in the brain. It reduces stress, a key uh, trigger in inflammation. It improves sleep, another necessity for cognitive health. And the brain removes weight, uh, waste when you're sleeping. They never really thought the lymphatic um, nodes were in your brain, but they are. And the lymphatic system reduces waste out of your system. So sleep is really an important function because it reduces and, and eliminates waste from your body. So um, next sleep, there's cognitive behavior therapy, which I talked about about earlier can really help with sleep. It's a behavioral approach to improving your sleep drive and, and um, managing your circadian rhythm. So you have your uh, daytime of, of um, serotonin and your nighttime of melatonin and how to keep them in check and how you really want to keep your body uh, and you're uh, really in a active state during the day so you can rest at night. Really helpful as well. And if you're a company and you really want to bring forward a lot of these issues, um, hire a wellness consultant to really help you and bring that to the forefront, all these issues that I'm talking about, because it will really help coordinate all these different aspects for, uh, for the different uh, policies and systems that you have in your company. And um, one last one. Uh, so today's challenges are not forever. So often a person with mental health feels like they are all alone in these dark, in a dark world. And I have a slide here of black umbrellas with one shining rainbow umbrella, which can be a part of self-transformation of moving forward and feeling healthy amidst the darkness. And we all should feel this way as we get through COVID because it's not forever. Rainy, my goodness. Thank you so much. Look, I, I did, I took pages of notes here. <laughs> Uh, fantastic insights and I'm so delighted to have you as a guest I just want to underline a few things that I think would be interesting uh, for our listeners before I ask you some questions that really resonated with me personally and uh, it's a difficult topic and I'm so grateful for you to provide such science behind this topic that um, takes the taboo away and makes it much more comfortable to talk about. But there were a few things in particular that I thought were things that I learned or just crystallized for me. So if, if you don't mind, I'll share those with you and then I'll Thank open you. it up for some questions if that's okay. 
Um, one of the things you said earlier in your presentation was around women having a higher aptitude for anxiety. And I think just with the most recent circumstances with COVID, that's yes. accelerated. And often women are responsible for the homestead logistics in addition to their careers. And it's just added some additional pressure, you know, homeschooling or whatever it is. And, um, you know, a lot of really high performing women, specifically executive women or women that have high aptitude for senior executive positions, maybe even if they're earlier in their career, I'll call them high performers. Uh, they're not good at admitting weakness. Yes. They often are workaholics to overcompensate because they're not comfortable with criticism. And they are the ones that are overworking to the point of stress. And I think we need to talk about the um, the issues with high-performing women and uh, making them feel more comfortable with being a different type of leader. You know, having, you, you know, it's okay to admit weakness. It's okay to talk about how you overcame that. And I think that's going to help other women in those situations. And I, that just really resonated with me. So I thought um, your model, and again, if you haven't seen the video version of it, you can download the slides from our website. But one of the slides you talk about sympathetic versus parasympathetic, the conscious versus unconscious mind, the good stress versus the bad stress. That's right. I thought yes. that was fantastic. And we all need good stress. Otherwise, you know, we wouldn't make deadlines and things like that. Right? <laughs> We'd be couch potatoes. Right, right, right. Exactly. So I thought it was really healthy that you differentiated between good stress and bad stress and what those trigger points might be when it's piling up. I thought that was terrific. One of the things I thought you also mentioned was that I thought played into one of the things we're talking about a lot in, in real estate right now is change management. Mm -hmm. And you never think of that as a real estate topic, but part of that is born from the amount of change that we're inundating our employee community with. And a lot of real estate executives and professionals, like a lot of the people in, in our company at BGIS, in our workplace solutions team are certified change management professionals. So that's something you would normally think of as HR but it's built into how we're designing our spaces, how we're supporting yes. our state spaces from facilities management. It's an enabling skill set that I think is, is growing in its importance. And it has to be part of how we're establishing the support community at work, um, how we're providing options. One of, um, you know, I, I'd like to actually dedicate this episode to a great colleague of ours by the name of, of Robert Struthers, who was the lead executive at Bell. Fortunately, he suddenly passed away a year and a half ago, and I'm still so sad about that because he was such a great leader in our industry. One of the things I appreciated so much about Robert in particular and Bell is that they have Let's Talk uh, yes. as a program, Let's Talk Day. And, Ro and Robert was such an advocate of Let's Talk and advocating that. And as a real estate professional, really making that prevalent, I'm just so proud of his leadership. And oh, I just, I get a little emotional still thinking about him. Um, but I'm really proud of the leadership of, of Robert as a specifically a, a real estate executive and, and Bell as a company. So um, just a couple more highlights because I learned so much. Like I said, I took lots of notes. <laughs> I think, you know, we talked about open spaces and how that's conducive to mental health. And I think it's really around providing choices for employees in the spaces mm -hmm. that we design. 
I thought the breathing exercise was amazing. And you reminded me of a simple exercise that I do and I've taught to people, but I kind of forgot about of just breathing, that deep breathing, because we tend to clench and that shallow, we're much more shallow and we're not providing enough oxygen to our brain, which obviously powers our bodies. And that that square breathing example is so simple and something we can teach children uh, is a very simple, memorable coaching when because anxiety and stress happens at all ages. It's such a simple exercise around that square model of breathing that I thought was so, that box breathing, uh, that I thought was, was a, a ter- really a terrific exercise. And then the last thing I'll say before I just turn it over to questions is you've reminded me that our digestion is where 70% of our immunity comes from. And under stress, we tend to drink alcohol, we eat sugar, we have junk. And that makes us feel great in the moment. And then afterwards we feel terrible. And now you've explained the science behind why. And so anyway, those were just a few nuggets. I don't think I could write fast enough, but if you don't mind, I'll turn it over um, to some questions if you don't mind, Rainy. Yes. So you remember, you mentioned that you're part of Fitwell, which is actually, I think, how we're intersecting between real yes. estate and your background, which is amazing how we are all in a way accidental real estate professionals. <laughs> Could you tell me a little bit more about Fitwell and the program and certification and, and how you feel it would benefit the workplace? Well, it's a uh, very interesting accreditation. It's um, a lot of architects, designers, engineers, uh, facility management people uh, get it. There's also well-built standards as well. Um, Fitwell has uh, one section on nutrition, which I was really amazed about, and then also talks about different aspects of the buildings. Uh, What I said before, the uh, internal environments of HVAC, um, air filtration, it talks about wellness features in your building that make people go through spaces a different uh, different kinds of ways how it interacts in a community having walkable spaces around up and downstairs how you set up your stairwells um, how to really um, look at how you're um, designing the interiors uh, how that really affects people the flow of traffic the way you place um, objects uh, furniture uh, all those sort of things, how you even put up your lighting, what kind of lighting to have. Uh, all these different factors are really impact people's perceptions of how they're living in a space and how they physically feel. So they, it has a direct um, impact on people of how they feel. They feel much more comfortable. Uh, it increases their, um, in an environment, it increases their productivity exponentially. It's been proven. There's many studies indicated in this fit. Well, they had fantastic things available about COVID that I thought were very helpful that they put up very early on for their members to really um, distribute into their community about how, ways that they that would help people. Um, they really have a lot of also wonderful things how to go back to work. And again, it's really based on people's sense of safety and trust of their employees. But at the same, there it's as, it's um, really providing a lot of information that buildings start to incorporate these different elements when they're being built. And then also how you can renovate or modify them uh, at various stages, but mostly to think about incorporating these um, accreditations into the building as new buildings are being built and to really think about it because it really impact, impacts the way people live in buildings and in homes as well. 
Absolutely. Anywhere we're indoors. But, you know, I really applaud organizations like Fitwell and IWBI for pivoting during the COVID period mm-hmm. and introducing additional formal criteria around health and safety and communicable diseases that I don't think is going to ever retreat. This isn't the first pandemic we've ever had, and it won't be the last. And I think that anytime we can build that resilience into our buildings to consider the health and safety. So I think it's really, again, elevated the standards or best practices under which we operate our premises. So I I think that well, as well as IWBI for pivoting to address that topic. Hey, hey, Rainey, what do you see when you do a walkthrough of a building or premises, what are kind of the biggest gap or opportunity areas that you see that most organizations are overlooking that could have the biggest impact? Um, I think it's really uh, putting in um, proper lighting, really thinking about the flow of traffic, you know, making people feel comfortable there's enough space. And that there's, uh, I mean, now with COVID, uh, distancing will really change a lot of that that part of things. And I think will help people feel more comfortable having more distance. Um, I think um, signage is really important. That people uh, are helping to really uh, know where they're going. Uh, You can do so many wonderful things with signage. Uh, in all artistic ways, uh, in practical ways, to make people feel comfortable about where they're going and where they are. Um, it's great for introducing wellness activities to use their stairwells as exercise locations, and you can do some fantastic things uh, there. Um, you know, putting in music in stairwells, uh, having good lighting, or if there's natural lighting. I also really look for natural lighting because I think that really helps people a lot, especially like during the day you get tired, especially after lunch. A lot of people eat a big lunch, which they shouldn't. They should eat a much simpler lunch, less carbs. And um, look outside in nature, look outside and just looking outside will help um, wake you up. So having access to, to natural light is really a big, a, an important factor. And this is a lot also what Fitwell and uh, the uh, Wellness Building Standards also talks about. I, I think th- those are some really important features that uh, really uh, get people um, feeling comfortable in their work environment. And uh, and it's not like you're recreating home at work. You're just setting up comfortable spaces and really uh, the ergonomics of furniture are also a big factor too. How you sit at your desk, what type of chair you're sitting in. I've been suffering terribly with sciatica because mm. I wasn't sitting in a proper chair. And then I changed my chair and it made a huge difference like within a day or two it was amazing so I think those little things have a really um, big impact I know some people are using ironing boards as desks during this time which is like crazy Um, you know but they're standing up so that's a good thing but you know some people are being very inventive but really having those really proper type of equipment makes a big difference um, and how you work, especially day in, day out. You know, you really want to have good ergonomics in your office. Um, so those are some of the things that I would look at. You're so right. And it's not just the office environment, but it's home environment. And the two things I've been talking a lot about over the last months are elevators and ergonomics. <laughs> Believe it yes. or not, um, who would have known I could talk so much about elevators, which was actually um, a couple of weeks ago, the last podcast, but ergonomics is a big consideration as well. And, you know, the ironing board, I was laughing at that, but not really, because you do see people making some pretty MacGyver yes. <laughs> environments, right? You know, yeah, MacGyver's the word, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, sort of <laughs> cobbling whatever their environment is together because they need, you know, that little corner of the house where they're not going to get uh, too much cross traffic and it's created mm-hmm. some, let's say, creative uh, work conditions that are not yes. desirable. You know, the other thing I, I really re- appreciate that you talked about, Rainey, is um, not just the physical environment, but the humanity of this topic and um you know, it's the full spectrum. And one of the things I I posted on LinkedIn uh, just before we recorded this session was an ask, and I'm just so heartbroken by some of the stories I'm hearing out there with people struggling with what's happening right now and the kind of environment we're in. And I reached out and I asked people to just reach out to a colleague. If it's somebody you haven't heard from for a while, just, you know, we're all so blessed. Reach out and somebody you haven't heard from a while, just give somebody some positive vibes, just pay it forward. And I, I noticed that it's like within an hour, it had 2000 likes and shares. And there's, Beautiful. I think, a voracious need of people to have that human contact appreciation. We don't have those casual encounters um, because a lot of us are working remote and we crave that as humans. We crave interaction. We're social creatures. We're designed that way. So I really want to encourage you all to reach out to a colleague and just appreciate them. A lot of the calls, Zoom calls and things we're doing now are very purpose-driven. They're very utilitarian. You're calling for a specific purpose. You don't have that run into somebody in the hall as you're going to the bathroom in the cafeteria. Hey, how are you doing? That kind of an interaction where you can... Mm -hmm accidentally find out how somebody's day is going we're missing that and so I'm I I would like everybody out there that's listening is just to go out and do a random act of kindness call a colleague you haven't heard from for a while and just see how they're doing and just pay it forward and support people because people are going through a different form of stress than they they have it ever than before um, so, and as we do more remote work, we're going to have to get better at these virtual casual encounters. So think of a person that you really, um, you know, appreciate at work. Maybe you haven't heard from them in a while and please reach out and just say hello and, uh, pay it forward and, and give them some love, you know, some virtual love. Absolutely. Um, really, I, I just feel so, um, enlightened from today, uh, for anyone that's interested in learning more about you or your company or some of the insights that you shared, could you just share with us how, how could somebody get in, in touch with you or how can they follow you in social media or what's your website? Could you just share a little yeah, bit? Thank more? you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, um, I, well, I'll, I can post in, uh, or give you my information. I have it in one of my slides, but, um, I ended up early, uh, ending it early. Uh, yeah, I'm rannyglick.com, R-A-N-I-G-L-I-C-K.com. Um, and uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook uh, as Rannie Glick Wellness. Um, and um, I'm easily to look up on, on the internet any at any place. So um, yeah, please contact me if you have any questions or I can help you in any way. Um, I also am, uh, I regularly post on LinkedIn. Uh, different articles that I write. I do a newsletter and I'm just writing, posting today one on the future connectivity and how that's really um, going to uh, change as well um, um, as we become more into the contactless society, but also how the human element is always so important uh, to keep um, 
thinking of and to really be connected in different kinds of ways. So it might be virtual, but it also can be uh, face to face and how that how important that is to keep that going. And even though we might find other ways of doing it, it still is so important for people to be connected in, in, you know, as much as possible. That's amazing. Please do reach out to Rainey. I've really enjoyed our discussion today. And I think it's amazing. Like we work in the most amazing industry that we could collide and interact and benefit from such a diverse set of topics. Like who would have guessed in real estate that we would be talking about the people side and the occupants. And I just think how we're evolving in our profession is fascinating. And we're all accidental real estate professionals in some way, right? It's such an incredible fusion of different experiences and backgrounds. And I'm so grateful to have met you. I'm so grateful that you were able to share such potent insights with our audience. So if any of you would like to learn more about Rainey, please uh, go to her website, sign up for her newsletter or follow her on social media. And that's all I've got for today. Unless Rainey, would you like any, the final word, any parting? Well, I just want to thank you all very much, but I also thank you, Gloria. It's been a real pleasure. And I have learned so much from you just in our brief conversations beforehand. And um, I love that we're all converging and uh, it's a very exciting area. And, you know, putting people first in real estate is such a huge shift and um it's 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 very exciting Uh, i'm glad to be part of it and uh really thank you so much i'm really honored oh it's really my privilege it's my privilege thank you so much my dear thank you take care bye-bye take care you've been listening to leading innovation at work the future of business podcast hey if you have questions or comments about this episode reach out to us via our website at www.leadinginnovationatwork.com And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit like and subscribe on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. You can find me, Lori Rowlandson, on LinkedIn or via my website at laurierowlandson.com. That's L-O-R-R-I-R-O-W-L-A-N-D-S-O-N.com. Thank you for listening.